0: Thanks, Jennifer. Good morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, and if you haven't already turned to Luke 17, go ahead and do so. We'll uh, jump in there in just a second here. And uh, there are sermon notes for you to take uh, along the way here. I'll be sort of uh, describing some of these phrases as we go through the passage, uh, so you can take notes there, and uh, that's on the inside of your worship guide if you want to follow along there with the sermon. I came across a good story this week. One afternoon, there was a lady who was at a very busy, a very crowded shopping mall. And uh, apparently, <laughs> uh, shopping in crowded malls is exhausting because she felt the need to sort of take a break. And uh, so she decided to have a coffee break uh, during her uh, shopping spree. So she bought herself uh, a little bag of cookies and uh, got uh, to the line to pay for her coffee. And uh, she found a place to sit then at the crowded uh, tables there in that uh, little coffee shop there. Uh, So she sat across from a man who uh, was sipping his coffee and uh, enjoying a break reading the newspaper. So she dives in and starts to have a couple sips of coffee and uh, finally gets a chance to to relax. And uh, after a minute or two, uh, during her coffee break here, she reaches out and uh, she takes a cookie. And as she did... The man from across the table reached out and took one, too. So this put her off a little bit, obviously. uh, But she didn't say anything, and she proceeded to go through with her little coffee break, her time by herself. And uh, after a couple more sips, a couple more minutes, uh, she reaches over and takes another cookie. And as she does, the man from across from her does the same thing, and she's a little miffed, just a little bit ticked off, uh, but she decides, I am not going to let this man ruin my coffee break and my time just to relax for a couple minutes and read my magazine and, and, and drink some coffee. So she takes a couple more sips of coffee, some time goes by, and she reaches out and she grabs one more cookie. And as she does, the man does the same exact thing and eats one of the cookies. And by this point, she's obviously a little bit upset um, because there was only one cookie left. And uh, she was fit, fit to be tied. Uh, she was a little upset, but she was trying to keep it in. So, uh, apparently the guy across from her noticed there's only one cookie left, too. Uh, because after a few moments, he reached out, grabbed the cookie, had the audacity, she thought, to break it in half and give her the last half of the very last cookie. Well, her coffee break was obviously ruined, and she was already thinking about how she would would tell this offense to her family. So uh, she folded up her magazine, opened up her shopping bag, and decided to leave when she noticed in her bag her unopened bag of cookies. Turned out, the man across from her, was being gracious. And she didn't even know it. Have you ever been so blissfully unaware that you ended up missing the grace of God? How often have you, like me, thought something about someone or something, or even God to find out later that the truth was something entirely different than your initial perceptions. A lot of life is like that. We see through perceptions that color the way we go through life. Our awareness of the reality is not what it should be. And so oftentimes we miss, in some ways, the grace of God in our lives. It's sort of like the story of a church potluck where a young man was piling his plate high with food, like three, four times what a normal person should eat. And and so he was walking out the door of the fellowship hall, and a couple ladies from afar were standing there going, how incredibly gluttonous. that That young man is going outside even so that we don't have to witness his indulgence and his gluttony. And turns out he's taking it to a homeless man down the street. Misperceptions color how we perceive things. How often have we thought one thing only to find out later that the truth was something different? How often have we misinterpreted, misperceived, miscalculated, even literally misheard? So we begin to perceive what isn't there. Or in the case of nine lepers, we don't even see what actually is there. We're a lot like the lady with the cookies. Turned out she was the cookie crook. And the disconnect was her own awareness of the reality of the situation. And the disconnect for us oftentimes in our Christian lives is a lack of gratitude. The spiritual principle for us today in this text is that the problem is not God's goodness. It's not God's grace. The problem is our awareness. Open to Luke 17, and and let's see how this principle unfolds in the text today. We'll be in verses 11 through uh, 19 there. I'll uh, refer to a few texts here along the way that you can write down if you want to look some things up later. But uh, let's start in verse 11 there. It says, On the way to Jerusalem... He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, he, of course, here is Jesus. He is the one who was on his way to Jerusalem. And there are three places in Luke where uh, Luke notes that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He uses that kind of phrase to describe Jesus' journey. And this is the third one of those times. You see, the progression in Luke and many of the Gospels is Jesus going on the way to the cross. The first time Luke mentions this in 951, he says this, When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In Luke 13:22, it says the same kind of thing. And then here, in verse 11, is the third of those three places in the book of Luke. Now, this is a literal statement as well as a figurative statement. It means, on the one hand, that Jesus is determined to literally get to Jerusalem uh, geographically. He's going that direction. But it's also a figurative statement to tell us that he is determined in his mission. So so on the way to Jerusalem, in, in the midst of going along in his mission, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. We don't know exactly where this is, but we know it's somewhere in that region there. And this is an area that was filled with both Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans, of course, were uh, considered sort of half-breeds uh, by Jews. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible, and, and, and they weren't... Ethnic Jews who were born of a Jewish mother, because that's what made you a Jew, is being born of a Jewish mother. So so to say here what Luke is saying, to say that uh, Jesus was somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, isn't just a statement about why they were, uh, because Luke actually didn't particularly care about the geography, so much as to say that Jesus is in a place where there are tensions, Jesus is ministering in a place where there are even racial tensions between Jews and Samaritans. So Jesus, in a sense, he ministered in the land between Samaria and Galilee. So don't focus uh, primarily on literal geography here. Uh, think figurative meaning. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's on a mission, he set his face toward the cross, but he is also between Samaria and Galilee. He's in the middle of sinful and hard situations where there are tensions. And and isn't that exactly where we are? On our way to our destination, on the way to accomplishing our mission, we find ourselves stuck in tense situations, where sin affects us, and hardship and suffering and even racial tension are all at work. And so we live in this place, somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. And yet, like we will see with this one leper, who also lived in that place, the difference was his awareness of the grace of God. It was his awareness of this reality about Jesus' mission, for example, that that brought comfort. It's our awareness of that reality of living in between that Jesus has lived where we've lived that brings us encouragement and comfort. He ministers and lives in a world of mysteries and problems affected by sin. Where he, like us, felt pulled in every direction. So friends... It's not the circumstances of our lives that should worry us. It is not the circumstances of our lives in which we find ourselves that should worry us. It's our awareness in the middle of those circumstances of the one who has traveled that road for us. Verse 12. It says, And as he entered a village... Cities have walls, villages do not. So this is a village just sort of out in the middle as he came along. He was met by ten lepers. It's almost as if they were looking for him. A fellowship of lepers, they stood at a distance, it says, and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It says he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. Leprosy, of course, is a, is a general term for a whole range of skin diseases. It's not just one kind, it's a whole range of skin diseases. And at its worst, uh, as one preacher says, lepers looked as though they had sort of climbed out of graves. In fact, tradition tells us that they were called the walking dead. Their skin would become numb and and deformed and, and they couldn't tell when they were sick or an infection happened, and so body parts would at times literally fall off and become scaly and boils would happen on their skin. And it, and it seems that Luke is telling us here that this was sort of a fellowship of lepers. They stuck together. They had to. According to Jewish law, any person with a leprous disease was required to live outside the camp. It says, Numbers 5, 2 to 3 talk about this. They were required by Jewish law to live outside the camp, and they were required to cry out as they they went along, unclean, to to yell the word unclean whenever anyone approached. We learn that from Leviticus uh, 13 and following. Uh, It's also important to note here that Jewish teachers at the time, they blamed that disease on the leper's sin. So so we can see that these these lepers come to the table here. They, they they come here with a whole set of feelings of being outcast, not just physically, not just socially, but spiritual outcasts, because they were considered that by Jewish teachers. And so and so the fact the fact that a Samaritan was traveling with Jewish lepers in an area between Samaria and Galilee, shows how truly outcast these lepers really were. These other social distinctions didn't matter because they were all in the same boat of being lepers. So they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. At the end of uh, verse 13 there. Uh, these, These ten lepers were in effect... Pleading. They were in effect praying for Jesus to heal them. And this plea, this plea acknowledges Jesus' authority. It says they called him Jesus Master. At least in theory, they acknowledge Jesus' authority and his divine power, at least in name. And whether whether or not they really wanted to live and follow Jesus as master remained to be seen but at least they wanted him to heal their physical and social problems we don't know how they they heard about jesus Perhaps they heard about the leper that Jesus healed in Matthew 8. That is where Jesus touched the leper to heal him. Here, Jesus, there's no formula for the healing. He doesn't even touch the leper. He doesn't do what he did with the person who, who he told to, to put the spittle in the ground and to make dirt and put it on his eyes and wipe. There's no formula. He just declares, go see the priests. That's when uh, we get to verse 14 here. He saw them and he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus' command here was for them to do what a cured leper is supposed to do. Uh, In keeping with the regulations that were stipulated in in, in Leviticus, in uh, Leviticus 14, their healing as lepers required examination by a priest before they could be like, certified to, to go back into normal community life. So, they're healed. And as they went, in other words, as they went away, they were cleansed. Verse 15, this is when the story turns. This is when Jesus begins to tell us what gratitude looks like. Then one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God, with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That phrase there, one. One of them when he saw that he was healed. This is that a moment of awareness in this man's life. When he saw, when he became aware that he was healed, When he realized what had happened, he turned back to Jesus. He turned back. He didn't go the direction of the rest of the ungrateful nine lepers, who, though they had been cleansed, didn't realize that it meant a change of direction. They weren't aware what a fitting response to healing looked like. The only valid response is given here. Praising God with a loud voice, falling on, Jesus, f- falling on his face at Jesus' feet and giving him thanks. A response of worship and praise at the one who brings real healing. And at the end of this verse, Luke puts in that, that crucial phrase. He says, now, note this. Don't miss this, he says. He, the one who turned back, was a Samaritan. There's a surprise in the story. And Jesus puts in that surprise by saying, now the one that turned back was a Samaritan. Luke is making clear that the one who returned to give thanks was the one you don't expect. The one who surprises you. Jews knew the Messiah was coming. They knew what He would do. Clearly. But the one who turned back was the non-Jew, the one you don't expect. And so it's a surprise that Jesus plays off of when he asks a series here of three brief questions. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus says this, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? these questions these three questions if you hear them correctly tell a sad truth about how lacking in thanks we can be if we are not aware of the grace of god it's important to note in fact that these three questions are not really addressed to the grateful samaritan they are addressed to the ungrateful nine who left. And they are perhaps addressed to us if we are unaware of the grace and mercy of God in our lives. That is, if we are unaware in a way that is just like the one leper who actually expressed and gave thanks and praise. Awareness by itself, unexpressed, might have been where the nine who left were. Don't miss this. The nine who left knew that they were healed because they went to the priests. But the one who expressed and worshipped openly his gratitude to God is the one to whom these questions are not directed. I sort of, I sort of hear these questions... And I, may, I sort of imagine Jesus saying it sort of sadly for that one leper to hear. Like, commiserate with me, one leper. What, was not one found to return and give praise to God? And then maybe maybe there were others around. Maybe there were people listening to what's going on and watching what's going on. And maybe there were crowds around. And Jesus said it with a rhetorical flourish so that they could all hear Him say, Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, Jesus says, Rise and go your way. He's speaking to the one. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Now, don't miss this. In this case, the man's faith was not expressed by his request for help. All of the lepers had a request for help. In this case, the man's faith was not expressed by his request for help, but by his gratitude and his praise of God. His faith was expressed as the real deal. It was shown to be the real thing by his gratitude and praise of God that was actually expressed and not held inside as it could have been for the other nine. They had been healed. They got what they wanted. The thing that differentiates the one from the nine is is gratitude. In fact, according to Jesus' words here, it was gratitude to the healer that brought the one into the family of God. It's it's the truth expressed of his trust and faith in his master that brought him into the family of God. It was his awareness of the grace of God in the person of Jesus that was the difference in his expressed gratitude. So, what is radical about this story is simply this the knowledge of the gratitude was expressed. And what that means for followers of Jesus is that those who call the master healer their savior express praise and gratitude and thanks. So, so radical following of Jesus doesn't necessarily mean something crazy or, or weird or particularly out there unless express gratitude doesn't happen much in which case it makes simple statements of praise and thanksgiving and gratitude absolutely radical. In a world that misses giving due where it's owed. The word gratitude is at the heart of the gospel. Martin Luther said gratitude is at the heart of of the gospel, It's a word that simply means grace, attitude. I found an interesting description of gratitude online at Wikipedia. You can go right there, wikipedia.org. Uh, it makes an important point about gratitude. It speaks about the difference between gratitude and indebtedness. Gratitude and indebtedness. Listen to what it says. Gratitude is not the same as indebtedness. While both emotions occur following help, indebtedness occurs when a person perceives that they are under an obligation to make repayment of compensation for the help. The emotions lead to different actions. Indebtedness can motivate the recipient of the aid to avoid the person who has helped them. Whereas gratitude, and don't miss this because it's a picture of the gospel, gratitude can motivate the recipient to seek out their benefactor and to improve their relationship with him. we serve a master healer who was far more like a benefactor than one in one to whom we are indebted for a debt we cannot repay so are we like the one is your faith is my faith expressed by my gratitude Is my relationship with God and with other people such that the gratitude is a natural response to improve relationship? Is your faith expressed by regular praise? Is regular thankfulness for the glory and the wonder of being called a child of God something that is like the one who turned back actually expressed in praise? Or are you, like we all sometimes are, too upset at your cookies being eaten to neglect the one who owns them and gave them to you in the first place? Are you and I, are we more like the nine who knew they were healed, but kept their gratitude and their verbal praise inside? What would it look like if we were a people of radical gratitude? What would it look like if we expressed what we actually have inside us when it comes to thanks. Something so simple in a world we live in today would be radical. Would it make any difference in our interactions with one another? Would we be quicker to encourage and love and praise than we would be to cut down, to assume assume the worst to criticize, to misperceive. Would we have a better awareness of the grace of God in our own lives if we were a part of a people where that kind of gratitude was a regular practice? So so I want to declare publicly my gratitude. For a church family who supports one another in the things that go deeper and Sunday morning handshakes to the hard fight of cultivating growth in God with one another. I'm thankful for ministry staff whom I call my best friends. I'm thankful for loving parents who modeled the grace of God in their own lives and have worked tirelessly in ministry for the sake of the kingdom. I'm grateful for a loving family who loves me despite me being a helplessly driven Jesus fanatic, who is strangely, selfishly intense and cares about silly things. I'm grateful for the Word of God to direct me, to shape my heart, to be used by the Holy Spirit to instruct us and to demonstrate to us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I'm grateful for the love of God, that He's past my failures to love Him as He deserves. I want to declare publicly my praise for the God who heals wounds far deeper than surface ailments. Let's pray.